Welcome to the City View Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. What's up, everybody? Welcome to City View Church Online, the perfect place for imperfect people. My name is Jared, and I will be sharing the message with you today. Super excited for what God has for us. I can't even tell you, it's already been doing something in my heart. But before I get going, I just want to say, for those of you that are new maybe to uh, church, maybe the, just this online church experience, I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, welcome home. Something we always say at our community is that you don't have to believe in order to belong. So wherever you're at, whenever, no matter what your worldview is, where you are in your faith journey, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope that this message that I have will better your life. Truly, at the end of the day, I hope by the time you're done watching this, you would just be more man, blessed, transformed by the end of it. And then for those, men that call City View Church home, you are part of the community and the family. I just want to tell you, I love you so much. Can't wait to regather again. So let's get going. Have you ever dreaded going to the dentist? Have you ever dreaded going to the dentist? I don't know about you, but I honestly kind of enjoy dentist appointments. Now, some of you upon hearing that go, I knew there was something wrong with that guy. I, I just, I couldn't put my finger on it, but that's it. No, I really, I, I gotta be honest. I don't mind going to the dentist. And here's why. Because I have good teeth. Like I have a pretty high success rate that I'm gonna go in, everything's gonna be cool and, and the like. And so recently, about six months ago, rolling to the dentist's office, feeling good, walking in, getting my x-rays. Then the dentist comes around the corner, he goes, yeah, you got to get two fillings. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, man, you got two cavities. I'm like, how is that even possible? I haven't had a cavity since I was six years old. He's like, it could be because of your, it could be because of your medicine you're taking for your Crohn's disease. It could be this, it could be that. And then he asked me this, he goes, are you a snacker? <laughs> I was like, what is this a personal training session? Like, is it, are we talking counting calories now? No, he asked me, he's like, are you a, like, are you a, like he, out of all the certain things he asked, one of them was, are you a snacker? I'm like, no, no. As I'm probably have like a nature Valley bar in my car. And I don't know what it was, but it was so hard for me to admit. And maybe you can relate, just admit that you're a snacker. You're like, that's just kind of like, I don't know. I'm not going to be open about that, but here's the interesting thing. Something where you and I have common ground is that, man, it's so easy to admit also, it's easy to admit that you're sad, it's easy to admit that you're anxious, but it's really hard to admit you're angry. You know why? Because anger hides itself. Now, think, think of all the times on social media, man, we have people that will post, long posts being open and honest about their depression, being open and honest about their anxiety, and praise God for that. We got to get that stuff out into the light. We want people to walk together, walk with you, all those things, and that is beautiful. We got to keep going because it's okay to not be okay. But rarely do we ever, if we're being honest, rarely do we see a post or someone being open, honest that I am angry and I am bitter. It just doesn't happen. But you might be thinking, Jared, I really don't get angry. Well, here's the thing. 
There's so many ways to convey anger you wouldn't even realize. We convey anger how we look at somebody or how we don't look at them, how we touch somebody, how we avoid touching them, how we speak to somebody, how we avoid speaking to them. We do it through passive aggressiveness, through withdrawal, through forgetting, through placating people out of fear, through sabotage. All of these things can be just as sinful and just as unloving as exploding in wrath. I'm not angry, I'm just sticking up for myself. I'm not angry, I just love justice. I'm not angry, I just, you fill in the blank. But here's the reality. You see, the more you deny your anger, the more you allow yourself to be angry. The more allow yourself to be angry, the more angry you will be, which will then in turn create more psychological and social problems in your life. Now, the psychological and social problems perpetuate a brokenness, which makes you more angry, and then you need to be angry to feel your anger. In the end, it's a cycle that you and I don't want to be a part of. You see, the more angry you are, the more you need to be angry, which in turn makes you more angry. My brothers and sisters, we live in the age of outrage, do we not? We live in the age of outrage where everyone either lies and says they're not angry or they explode, let it out, rage, and then we all applaud. Oh, that was so good. That was so good how you shamed them and, and raged on them on that social media post and that comments. But can I just be honest with you? Really just outside of my message is just from my background in, in clinical mental health counseling, shaming people and exploding on them is the worst way to try to get someone to change. Hence why I like to follow Jesus because he doesn't shame us, he loves us into life. It's totally different. But the reality is, is that outrage is a cultural value here in America. I think anyone outside of America looks at us and goes, man, they just seem pretty angry. The sad part is that not only a cultural value here in America, it's seeped into the church and it's polluted our community and even worse, is polluted our message. And no matter what side you are on, whatever issue, nowadays it's not enough to be outraged about something because you know, now also have to be outraged about the outrage or the lack thereof. And so what we end up doing is we end up fighting injustice with injustice. And can we be honest? Something is clearly broken. Something clearly is not working. And so here's, here it is. My brothers and sisters, we need to learn what is anger. We need to learn where does it come from. We need to learn how to transform it, how to heal it. Otherwise, we'll continue to suffer, we'll continue to pollute the message, and even worse, we'll continue to perpetuate brokenness both in our lives individually and as a community. Let's pray. Father, I just ask, Lord, Lord, that you would show us, Lord, the things that are making us angry. Lord, not, not, not really a sexy message, but Lord, we, we just ask, God, that where we are angry, Lord, help, help just get, change our hearts, Lord. Help us be that, that community of love that just, just is so much different than the culture we live in today. Lord, we thank you that we gather here today around the message of what you've done for us, not what we could do for you. And we ask, Lord, that you would just change our hearts from the inside out today. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So here's what I'm going to do. 
So we're going to take a little small passage of an experience Jesus had. I'm going to then paint this beauty and this disorder of anger throughout the rest of this talk. And then we will find ourselves back at this, this story, but with a new lens. And it goes like this, Mark chapter three, verse one through five. Again, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now, who he's talking about here is they're talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees are watching Jesus to see, is he going to heal this man? Now, if you're new to the church experience, to, to the story, is Pharisees were an amazing moral group of people. They memorized the laws of God. They enforced them. They looked down on people who weren't as good as them. And ultimately, they found that through their performance, they would have right standing with God. But then Jesus comes on the scene and actually is like, you actually don't understand. The law doesn't make you good. It actually exposes your sin and helps you reach up in need of a Savior but they can't see that. And so he says to the man in verse three with the withered hand, come here. And he says to them, to them now, to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And look at their response. But they were silent. They didn't have an answer. And he looked around at them with anger. Why? Now remember, the best friend of anger is always hurt. They're buddy-buddy. They go together. Why is Jesus angry? Because he's grieved at the hardness of their hearts. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and boom, his hand was restored. Jesus angry and grieved because they were rejecting the very one that they were re waiting for. They were rejecting the one that they needed as a savior. And so here's what I want you to know. Despite everything, here's what I want you to know. In its uncorrupted origin, keyword uncorrupted, anger is love in motion. Here's why you need to know that. Because anger is love moving towards a threat to that which you love, which I'll explain. But before I explain it, what is anger? Like literally, what is it? You see, anger is defined as the agitation of the soul. It's defined as the explosive dynamite of the soul. And here's what anger does, is it disintegrates. It disintegrates. So research shows that anger, that no, no one ever likes to talk about this, but anger, according to research, is far worse on your body than depression and anxiety which is crazy. So not only does anger disintegrate your body, but it even disintegrates community. That's right. Something you need to know about anger is what is inside of you. If you are angry inside, it directly translates to the relationships outside of you. If you are angry and shameful on the inside, it is going to come out and spill out on the community around you. And so anger not only disintegrates your body, it disintegrates your community and even worse, it disintegrates your wisdom and your ability to make wise choices. Now, have you, have you ever done this? Have you ever exploded on someone, right? You, you raged, you did something you shouldn't have done, you said something you shouldn't have said, and then after you cooled off, you're like, man, I feel like such a fool. Do you know why? Because, <laughs> because you were a fool. I've been there countless times where I've raged about something and I'm like, Wow, I am such an idiot. But that's the reality, is anger distorts your view of yourself 
It distorts your view of others, the world, the situation you're in, and completely inhibits your ability to make wise choices. But remember, here's what I want you to know. That in its uncorrupted origin, anger is love in motion. Anger is love moving toward a threat to that which you love. And you're like, Jared, what do you mean about love in motion? Because some of you are going, I don't understand. I was taught that you're not allowed to be angry, that good people don't get angry. Or some of you, maybe in the last week, someone has exploded on you and you felt horrible and you're going, love in motion? But check this out. God, who is uncorrupted, experiences anger. Exodus 34 says this. The Lord passed before him, who was Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, some of you are having an existential crisis. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I believe in a God of love, Jared. I don't believe in a God who gets angry. But listen to what the text said. The text says that God refers to himself as slow to anger. You see, there's, there's so many street preachers and preachers that preach angry. And, and sometimes we get the idea that God is just angry all the time. But no, it says he's slow to anger. And never in the scriptures does it say God is anger. Never says that. But throughout the scriptures, it says God is love. But in this text, we're on this text, it says God is slow to anger. If God is love, Jared, then how can he experience anger? Let me explain. You see, if you have a God who never gets angry, you can't have a God of love. Why? Because if you never get angry about anything, then you don't love anything. You see, love's just one of God's attributes. He's also just, he's also holy, but his anger flows from his love perfectly. So check this out. Now, not all of us are fathers and mothers. I'm certainly not one. Can't wait to be one. But imagine we're all fathers and mothers and we got our son or daughter walking with us as we're hiking up Thunder, Thunderbird Mountain. We're going up to see the flag on the top. We're walking up on the trail. Your son, your daughter, our son or daughter, they're being obedient. They're next to us, being good. When all of a sudden, boom, rattlesnake comes out and bites your son or your daughter. Now, here's a question. What are you going to do in that situation? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like touching snakes. I don't like, I don't want them on my neck to, 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 you know, experience that at the zoo. I'm like, no, I am absolutely out. No snake is touching me. But I would say you're a lot like me. If a snake bites my son or daughter, guess what? I'm putting hands on that snake. I'm getting a boulder. I'm doing something and I'm going to murder the snake or at least get it off my son or daughter. Why? Because whom I love, whom you love is threatened. So you get angry. However, if you're indifferent, like if you just let your son or daughter get bit and you don't care, then you're not being loving. That, that's, that's interesting to me. You see, the, the opposite of, of love is not anger, it's hate. But the final form of hate is indifference. You see, that's an external threat I just described to you. But now think of an internal threat. You're a father or a mother, and the more you love your son or daughter, the more you can be prone to get angry 
at the immorality, the liar, the adultery in your son or daughter. You catch what I'm saying? Because anger in its uncorrupted origin is love in motion, dealing with a threat to whom you love. You see, that's why. Do you see the beauty of it? Do you see the beauty of anger? That's why anger destroys. That's why it disintegrates, because it's designed to destroy the threat to that which you love. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you, Jesus, that he does experience anger so he can take out threats on your behalf and on mine, not both externally, but internally. And so that's why when the scriptures talk about God experiencing anger, it's because he loves us. He loves you. And here's what he's angry at. He's angry at the cancer of sin that's destroying the human race that he created and that he loves with his whole being. That's why we see Jesus getting angry and cleansing the temple because they weren't allowing all people to get into that temple to worship and pray to God. They were extorting the poor people, wouldn't, wouldn't allow them to buy sacrifices, upcharging them on the sacrifices so that they could not cover for their sins. Jesus gets angry. Jesus gets angry at the Pharisees like we read in the beginning because of their hardness of heart. He goes, listen, you, the Pharisees, they kept putting an obstacle course between people and God, and that's not what love does because the message of Jesus is not what we can do to get to God. It's what Jesus has done and what God has done to get to us. That's why Jesus is angry when Lazarus dies because death was never supposed to be a part of our story, but then sin entered. So why does he experience it? Because he is love. Not only is he love, but he's good. You need to know. Sure, yeah, oh yeah, I know he's loving. But you got to understand that he is good. He knew exactly and knows exactly how to take away and to take care of the threat of sin in our lives. He did it first by going to the cross. And then second, then he sent us his spirit to help us walk in freedom. You see, the cross is where the wrath of God, the justice of God, the love of God, and the mercy of God all meet together perfectly. You see, Jesus' enemies were never people. It was never people. It was always the enemy and sin. It was evil. You see, if you ever wonder if Jesus is his enemy, is people, if you ever wonder that, just look at one of his final statements on the cross. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So God, who is uncorrupted, experiences this pure, this beautiful anger. Us, on the other hand, mm, not so much, not so much. James says this in James 1. He says, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now check this out. Some of us don't understand this verse, but I'm going to read it real slow. For the anger of mankind does not produce the righteousness of God. That's right. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here's why. There's a big problem with our anger. Our anger is disordered. Here's what Tim Keller says. He says, our anger is disordered in its cause. Our anger is disordered in its proportion, and our anger is disordered in regards to its goal. Now, here's why. Because we have a disordered love. Now, remember what I said in the very beginning. 
anger and its uncorrupted origin is love in motion. It's love moving towards a threat to that which you love. But here's the problem. A disordered love will create a disordered anger. You might be saying, Jared, I don't understand. Let me break it down for you. You see, when it comes to love, we turn good things into God things. Money's a good thing. We'll turn it to a God thing. A, a good reputation. I mean, that's a good thing. We'll turn it into a God thing. Work is a good thing. We'll turn it into a God thing, an identity thing, a thing that for our happiness, a thing for our security. And when you start having disordered loves, it creates disordered anger because anything that threatens that love makes you angry. So here's the first one. Our anger is disordered in its cause. So we have anger that often, 99.99% of the time, doesn't fit the cause. You see, if I'm running late to a meeting, check this out. If I'm on a two-lane highway and I'm running late to a meeting, I'm stuck behind this guy going 48 in a 40 mile per hour. Now, I don't want to be late to the meeting. I'm raging. I'm screaming, get out of the way, move. Is it because he's a bad driver? No, he's going 48 to 40. Is it because he's a bad person? <laughs> no. W then what's going on in that situation? W why am I angry? Well, I, I don't want to be late. Why don't I want to be late? Well, I, I, want, I care about my reputation. So, so who do I really love in this situation? Myself. Myself. I, I don't want to look bad. I'm, I'm protecting myself. You see, our anger is not in just disordered in its cause. It's disordered in its proportion. You see, true loving anger always seeks to do a surgical strike on the evil. You see, if you truly love your, your kids, your teenagers, and, and they're, being a, they're being foolish, you want to destroy, disintegrate the foolishness in the child, not the child. But here's the problem. In our disordered anger, we oftentimes don't go after the problem, we go after the person. How many times do we get mad? There's, this is the problem, but we, we just take it out on the person. Disordered anger, going after the person and not the problem. How disordered is that? And so when we get hurt, we don't just want restitution. We don't just want justice. We want vengeance. And you can think, you think, man, if I can just repay that person, then I'll have satisfaction. You're wrong. What will happen if you take vengeance is you'll be more cold, you'll be harder, you'll be more self-pitying, you'll be more self-absorbed. All these things are going to haunt you when you try to take vengeance. And here's the reality is that through your vengeance, trying to get payment through vengeance does not make the evil disappear. In fact, it spreads it. And tragically, it spreads it into your own character. You see, I love Tim Keller says this too. He says, he says, justice without forgiveness is simply vengeance. And I want to remind you and me is that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we don't just seek to do a surgical strike. We slash and burn. Lastly, our anger is disordered in regards to its goal. You see, if your identity and your significance is based on your performance, on people's approval, or a good reputation, then your love, your love, will always be yourself. And anytime something gets in the way of your love for yourself, you want to disintegrate. James says this, he says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
Do you hear what James, the brother of Jesus says? He says, he says no, it, the, the trouble and the fights out here are actually a fight in here. Can you imagine if we actually focused on the war inside of us rather than the war outside of us, how much we could change? You see, underneath the whole thing, there's anger towards God himself. Because when you base your life on, if I just had this, then I'll be okay. If I just had this, if I was just in this life circumstance, then I'd be okay. The reality is that's your love and you will feel like God is getting in the way of that. So your anger and your bitterness is at God because it seems that he is getting in the way of your love and you'll always have an anger and a bitterness towards God underneath the surface. So why do we get more angry? Tell me, why do we get more angry when we're being snubbed in traffic? than angry at the injustice of sex trafficking. Why? A disordered love. It's simply a disordered love. You see, if it's true that anger in its purest form is love in motion, then moving towards a threat to that which you love, then the opposite is true. Then a disordered love will create a disordered anger, which prompts the question, I get it, Jared. How do we start to transform it? Next week, I'm going to talk about the healing of anger, but I want to take the first step today. What do you need to do? Out of all this, what do we need to do? What do we need? We need, next time you are angry with yourself, next time you, you are angry, ask yourself, what am I defending? Here's why. Because the answer to that question lies the answer to which your heart loves most. So the next time you're angry, ask yourself, what am I defending? Why? Because the answer to the question will reveal what your heart loves most. So I started thinking about this in my own life. I'm like, okay, what am I defending? I started thinking about some of the times I've just been an idiot. So I thought of one time playing basketball at LA Fitness. I'm raging at my teammates. And after the game, I'm like, why am I doing this? Okay, well, I started backtracking. Okay, it's because I didn't want to lose. Okay, why didn't I want to lose? Well, I just didn't want other people thinking they're better than me. Well, what am I defending? My ego. My ego, isn't that sick? Or I think about, I think about man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm angry in traffic. Traffic is annoying me. It's like, what, is my, what am I defending? My will. I want to be here at this time. You're getting in the way, so I'm angry at you. You see, anger is so often a response to a thwarted will. So maybe when you post an angry post, a nasty comment on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on, on whatever it is, you got to ask yourself, what am I defending? ending in this situation because the sad thing is your anger is disordered because you have a disordered love. Now you might be thinking to yourself, there is a few of us that want that go, no, Jared, I have in that situation, I had righteous anger. Now here's the thing. If you've exploded on social media recently, um, whatever, if you've exploded on a spouse, a coworker, a friend, a child, without even knowing all the details, if you were to ask, is this righteous anger? Probably not. No, probably not. You see, even when we feel angry at the injustice, at the evil, the immorality in this world, that doesn't give us free reign to explode in anger, indulge our anger, and then label it righteous when we sin. The reality is you and I should be so careful assuming you have righteous anger, assuming we have righteous anger because the scriptures are incessant about saying to be slow 
to anger. Here's a few. Proverbs 14, 17, a man of quick temper acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger, what do they do? Quiet contention. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Th that proverb always blows my mind because it tells me we actually demonstrate our helplessness when we let anger dominate us or any emotion for that matter. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. That's so beautiful. So why should we be slow to anger? Man, it's because we got disordered loves. And that disordered love produces disordered anger. It's all a mess. It's all a mess. But here's what righteous anger does look like. You bless those who curse you. You pray for those who are angry at you and who you are angry with. I'm going to say that one again, that you pray for those and bless those who you are angry with and all the while doing good to them. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. I love that. You know, peacemakers don't champion when other people that you agree with, that we agree with, go off on someone who we don't agree with. We, we don't, peacemakers don't applaud the belittling, the demeaning words, the, the nasty words people use towards each other. Peacemakers don't applaud when, when, when people in power let their opponents have it on talk shows, on radio shows, on marketing, all those things. No, you see, righteous anger seeks restoration. You know, ultimately, ultimately, our outrage results in leading people into restoring, loving, healing relationship with Jesus. Absolutely, that's righteous anger. Because true loving anger always seeks to do a surgical strike, almost like surgery. So remember, anger and its uncorrupted origins love emotion. Because anger moves towards to take care of a threat to that which you love. But the problem is we have disordered loves that create disordered anger. So here's what we need to do. Next time you're angry, ask yourself, what am I defending? Why? Because therein lies the answer to what your heart loves most. Parents, there may come a day when your child, maybe a teen, whatever the case, when your kid comes up to you in a moment of rage and says, I hate you, you've done nothing for me, I can't stand you, I wish you weren't my parents. In that moment, you have a few options. You can withdraw and act like that didn't hurt you, suppress your anger. You can explode on them, but that won't help either. But can I show you a third way? A, a, can you consider the way of Jesus and take on their disordered a rage, yet deal with the threat to the one whom you love? I'll end with this. We go back to the first passage that I introduce, where Jesus is angry. It says this, He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. What did the Pharisees do? Verse 6, They went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him, and literally started plotting how to destroy him. In anger, the Pharisees sought to destroy, while Jesus sought to heal. But here's the beauty. Little did the Pharisees know that Jesus didn't just heal a withered hand that day. 
Little did they know he didn't just experience at the hardness of their heart that day. No, on that day, he took on their disordered rage. On that day, he continued his journey to die for the hardness of their heart. On that day, he continued his journey of love, which would take him all the way to the cross to deal the ultimate surgical strike to the threat to their life, to your life, and to mine, which is sin. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here's where the transformation occurs. When we see Jesus taking on our disordered rage at an infinite cost to himself, then we see the ultimate surgical strike. He loved the sinner, dealt with the sin. He forgave our sins so he could embrace the sinner. He took on our disordered rage. Then he took on our sin on a hill he created. Why? so that you and I could become righteous. So if you want to be transformed, if you want to start transforming your anger, start to be melted in the knowledge of how Jesus responded to our, to your disordered rage. Then when other people wrong us, we can do the same. We can say, I've been wronged, but I wronged God. And with infinite, an infinite cost to himself, he responded with cosmic gentleness. And I can't do anything more than the same. You see, when you experience God's love for you and his ultimate surgical strike to the threat and the cost of your sin, then you're free to do it for others. And that, my friends, is where transformation occurs. You realize it's about what Jesus has done for you and your ego is changed. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much, Jesus, for taking on our disordered rage. When we would yell at you, say, take yourself down off that cross if you're really God when we would spit on you, when we would just, neg- just neglect you, push you away through our lives, whatever the case, Lord, Lord, just melt us in the knowledge right now in the experience of that you took on our disordered rage and then you took on our sin, oh, so that we would become righteous. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. For up-to-date series information, find us on social media at CityViewPHX or go to cityviewphx.com.